0: to women making moves where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons and I'm here today with the Mita Malik. Mita is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses. Her passion for inclusive storytelling led her to become a chief diversity officer to build end-to-end inclusion ecosystems across big and small organizations. In her very first book, Reimagine Inclusion: Debunking 13 Myths to Transform Your Workplace, Mita is saying all the quiet parts out loud of what holds us back from making meaningful progress in this work. Yes. Some of her myths include, I am all for diverse talent as long as they are good. And of course we support women. We just extended maternity leave and these DEI efforts don't benefit me. My voice as white man doesn't count anymore. Each myth opens with a powerful story, and then she leads us with practical and actionable advice and tips on how to show up differently to work. It's a must-have resource for anyone invested in building more inclusive cultures. Wow, wow, wow. Mita, welcome to Women Making Moves.
1: Amy, thank you for having me. So excited. I pressed pre order about a month oh, ago. Thank you. Your book. Thank I can't
0: you. wait because these are the exact things that I heard as not only having exited the corporate world last fall, but I also led the women's employee resource group at my wow. Fortune 200. So, a lot of these things on the way out, especially the one is my voice as a white man doesn't count anymore. I had a lot of men coming to me and expecting my women's ERG to kind of fix their place. They're they're like, Mm -hmm. we don't know where we fit anymore. And there was this constant conversation between do we as women fix it or does DEI fix it? Anyway, so I'm excited for the book. I cannot wait. I'm on pins and needles. Tell me about the moves that you're excited about making.
1: I'm really excited about a couple of moves I'm making. The first one was a physical move I made a year ago from the city to a suburb of New Jersey. And so really trying to get my kids settled who are 8 and 10 to the new neighborhood and friends and school and all of that. I'm excited about the book coming out, which has been a labor of love and a long time in the making. And then I think the final move I'm excited about making is just making moves to find more adult friends. That's a podcast conversation for another time. But all of a sudden, like we have so many jobs in our life and I look up and I think to myself, where's my community? Some of my closest friends don't live physically near me. And so that's actually why I really love LinkedIn as a platform to build community and conversation because we all are craving and want connection.
0: That's beautiful. And I do too. What's interesting is that LinkedIn has become my go-to. I'm not sure if this will resonate with you, but when I was in corporate, I didn't feel like I could use my voice the way that I wanted to mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly kind of getting a metaphorical hand slap, if you will, if I were to post more for women. But I've come mm-hmm. to really love it because I say what, what I'm feeling now and I share things that I'm passionate about. And at the end of the day, ultimately, I want all women to take that step forward. And that's what we're all here for. So, and that's my personal mission. So your book, there are so many things. I read your posts daily. I'm excited. I've been wanting to meet you for so long. One of your recent posts was a reminder for hard days. And talk to me about what inspired that post. I love the visual. I'm a really, I'm a big fan of infographics. What are those reminders for hard days? And how does that correspond with the 13 myths and how you approach your thought process as having been a chief diversity officer and the work that you're moving into now?
1: Reminder for hard days. I mean, part of it is, is that we live in this world. I keep saying right now, I could order a Shake Shack milkshake and have it delivered on my phone while we're talking. I don't know, what do I want to eat, right? We get what we want when we want it. And unfortunately, our children are being raised this way. We want things that are microwavable 60 seconds or less. And while I love LinkedIn as a platform, I think there are many ills of social media, which I don't need to go into. We all understand hopefully what those are, but I love LinkedIn for teaching, educating, sharing, learning. And also you can be having FOMO, you can be feeling like you were left behind. You can be feeling like you're not succeeding or achieving or accomplishing as much as the other person that you don't even know who's on your feed. And so, the reminders on those hard days, one of the reminders is we are all at our own pace. We're not behind. We are right where we need to be. And one of the reasons I posted about that was because I wrote this book four years ago. It was such a journey to get it published. I am not an overnight success. Amy, I thought when I had an agent and I had this book, I'd get an auction. Do you know what an auction is for books? It's know. like, everybody wants it. So all the publishers bid on it, right? And then you get the the winner takes all and the winner gets your book and you're bidding. Like you're trying to bid up the price for the advance. And I had known a number of people who had gone through a bidding process and I was like, oh, I'm going to have a bidding process. I had nobody. Nobody wanted the book. I had rejection after rejection and my friend, Land Fan of Community of Seven, who I'd loved for her to be on your podcast. She said to me, "Do what you're really good at doing. Continue to build community conversation, continue to storytell, the book deal will come." And it did come through my own podcast, Brown Table Talk, because my friend DC Marshall had a deal with Wiley and made the strategic introduction. Wiley actually came to her and the email she had, the subject said Meet Malik. and the editor Victoria, who's now my editor, said, "Your co-host seems amazing. Does she have a book deal?" So rejection is redirection and As I clapped and applauded and watched all of my friends and thought leaders in the marketplace getting books, I was like, my time will come. There's a reason why my book didn't come when it did. And you know what? If my book came out four years ago, Amy, well, you probably wouldn't have had this podcast yet, but you also likely wouldn't have invited me on it because I didn't have a community and people who were interested in what I had to say and knew that I was providing value. I mean, even you, first time we're meeting, you have bought The book on a promise. You believe in me and my writing and what I have to say. You haven't read a word of it, but you're saying, I'm going to pre-order it. I want to talk about it on my show. And so that's what I'm actually, rejection is redirection. And so that was the reminder for hard days that we're all on our own race. We're not competing with anyone. We're just on our own race.
0: We really are. That's a beautiful way of putting it.
1: And to your point, I really
0: love what you just said about if your book had come out four years ago, I was a completely different person, first of all. And to your point, yes, this podcast did not exist. So that's really gorgeous in and of itself. The 13 myths. I always reinforce that as we're navigating the hard days are the ones where I don't find myself really comparing myself against someone else's journey, but what I was reaching out to you, I'm like. Nita Malik, oh my gosh, this heavy hitter in the equity space. I can't imagine having a conversation with her and you're here and it's amazing. <laughs> like and we're on oh. these beautiful paths for a reason. The journey is different. Is there something there within the myths that you can expand upon when someone is having a hard day whether they're inside those walls or navigating something new like you and I are? Absolutely.
1: The reason I wrote the book is because I wanted to say the quiet parts out loud of what holds us back from making meaningful progress in the workplace. We hold on to these myths, these stories, we think they're true, and we can't let go of them. Mm -hmm. So one of the myths that you alluded to is, of course, we support women. We just Mm -hmm. extended maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a woman in an organization where your leader says that to you, you can feel gaslit, you can feel dismissed, you can feel minimized. Your reality is shaken because they're questioning why you might be bringing up things of why this is an inclusive workplace for women or areas of opportunity. And they can shut you down saying, we came up with all these policies and processes. And what I really talk about in that myth, for example, is that not all women want to be mothers and creating an inclusive workplace for women and particularly for mothers is not just about maternity leave, and by the way, it's parental leave because we talk a lot about the role men need to play in our workplaces and that men are also caregivers and should be can be caregivers, so there is this idea of you can have a leave and you could go on it, and you can have all the great policies and processes, but how you might feel when you come back, like when I came back from one of my leaves, I've had two children. How is your vacation? If you're here who's watching your kids, so you've decided to have a nanny raise your children? Are you sure you're not going to go part-time? Why are you asking about the promotion? You have two young kids now. That'll come. Maybe you should be less ambitious. And those are the things, as you talk about imposter syndrome, those are the things that chip away at us, right? Over and over and over again. Because then I start to doubt, can I be a good leader and a good mother? Because all these leaders at work are making comments about questioning my commitment to my job and my commitment to motherhood. And yet those same questions would never be asked of my husband. In fact, we've had these conversations. No one's ever asked him any of those questions, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, we talk about like the motherhood penalty and the fatherhood premium. Men are seen as more committed, more stable, more ambitious, more promotable when they become fathers. And I'm seen as a disheveled mess, right? And so that's how, when you talk about imposter syndrome and the myths, It's like when you keep being fed these stories that you know aren't true, you're just like, am I living in an alternate reality? This isn't true. This isn't what I experienced, but you're forcing me to believe that this is true.
0: I love the example that you gave about maternity leave and being on vacation. So within my corporate organization and our women's employee resource group, what we did was we created a cohort for women that are returning to the workforce after a pause. Mm -hmm. We say a pause because it wasn't a break. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a vacation. And there were things that were happening for these women that they felt less than coming back in. If they had a question about something in their mind was basic and they were embarrassed to ask or things like that. And there were these assumptions and it's like, no, we need you back. Come back. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're here. So we would pair them up with women that were happy to jump in without judgment I have this question about outlook or something yes. like innocuous, you know? And so it was like this really creating a safe space, especially for moms returning, especially after that leave. And there's been something, you know, how fast the workplace moves. How can we catch you up in a way that feels very safe and balanced yes. I want to go through the actual 13 myths. Because I think they're exquisite. Ooh,
1: okay. <laughs> if that's okay. I love it. No, I'm excited. Okay. Let's do it.
0: So myth number one, of course I support black lives matter. Why are you asking if I have any black friends? Myth number two, I always allow everyone to speak in meetings. Of course, I am an inclusive leader. Myth number three, it's time to have some courageous conversations on race. Let's ask our employees of color to lead them. Myth number four, I'm all for diverse talent as long as they are good. Oh, gosh. I mean, we've all heard all of these. You it's like, take a oh, breath and you need to pause. <laughs> I do need to pause. Oh, my gosh, about those, those first four. Wow. Myth number five, we protect the a-holes because our business wouldn't run without them. Oh, my goodness gracious. Ooh. It's like everything's upside down right now. It feels like the metrics and the numbers are all on top and humanities at the bottom. And it's, and and mm-hmm. you're feeling that and people are seeing it. Like I've heard a lot from my many organizations, so-and-so got promoted. I can't stay here knowing that mm-hmm. kind of person. Mm-hmm. Myth number six, why are you asking for a raise? Your husband makes more than enough money. Myth number seven, we need more people of color and leadership. Let's launch a mentorship program. Myth number eight, of course, we support women. We exist in a murder training league. We've we've touched on that one, of course. Myth number nine, these DEI efforts don't benefit me. My voice as white man doesn't count anymore. I had a very specific encounter when I left the corporate world last fall. I was, of course, interviewing new gigs and things of that nature. And I interviewed with a white man. And I said, hey, as a leader, how do you support your diversity, equity, and inclusion? And he said, well, we have those, but I don't attend. I don't need to be part of those. I noticed that I was not going to be a good fit for that organization because the leader did not feel that those were important. Right. Myth number 10, no one can question our support of the LGBTQ plus community. Look at how much money we invest in Jude Pride Month. We aren't diversity washers. (laughs) You're saying so many amazing things like- Only three more to go. Only three more to go. (laughs) Here we go. I'm I'm like, I just, wow, 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 wow. Myth number 11, our ad wasn't racist. It was simply a mistake. Myth number 12, we aren't apologizing. They need to stop being so sensitive. Myth number 13, we can work from home now. The future of work is inclusive. So what comes
1: next? Mita. Woo. Amy,
0: wanna- you
1: know what's really amazing? I think you're the one of the the second person that's read all the myths to me out loud. And that's really powerful, like to hear- what I put on paper that someone else is reading out loud and and that it speaks to you. And that means a lot because that is why I wrote the book. I
0: have, I have like a visceral response over each of these because I've, I've heard all these. I've been in corporate for almost 20 years and I don't suggest that it's only happening in corporate. Mm -hmm. However, I would say that these are alive and well in workplaces. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really strikes home to me, number 13, the one I just read, we can work from home now, the future of work is inclusive. I would say yes. And what happened over pandemic is that a lot of people, especially women, designed their lives the best, fit yes. best for them that now in 23, okay, now come back and pendulum
1: I- swing back. You know, it's really interesting because I mentioned, I wrote this book four years ago. And so when mm. I added this myth in, in yes. the last year, I actually debated whether I kept it in the way I did. And I did, because you know what, the world of work will never, ever be the same again since the global pandemic. And depending on the pendulum swinging. Whoever you perceive to have the power, the employer or the employee, this will forever be a conversation. Because the companies right now who are mandating employees to go back five days a week, Mm -hmm. as soon as market dynamics shift, as soon as those employees who are not wanting that for their lives, it's not the way they want to design their lives, they will go find other options. And so that's really, this will be forever the conversation. And the one thing I want to say about this myth is that so many of us fell into how to work remotely. And by the way, I talk about in this myth, the different definitions, fully back in the office, fully remote, hybrid, flexibility. Those things are all different. I don't think we've defined them in large corporations. I don't think we have people really looking after this. We talk about things like productivity. No one's really tracking it or thinking about it. And we're also really startling when I included the research So many individuals from historically marginalized communities prefer to work remote for all the reasons we might believe, whether it's caregiving, whether you're an individual with a disability, whether you're a Black employee who says, Asian, Hispanic, I'm tired of the level of microaggressions in work, or as we call them, everyday aggressions. I want to have the flexibility to work from home, to be in a hybrid or remote environment. So where does that leave us? That leaves us with the population who wants to spend less time in the office because of the office environment and what it might create. And then we have a group of individuals who always want to be in the office. And that's where I'm afraid we're going to end up with a two-tier system. In this country, when we're looking at individuals, again, who have the privilege to have these conversations, right? Because they're working in offices. And we then have location bias, proximity bias, who's coming in more often. We're sliding back 30 years to FaceTime in the office. So all of these things we have to be watching and accounting for, and they actually really impact all this work we're we're chasing, trying to make to build inclusive cultures.
0: And it feels like the senior leadership is listening and they don't, seemingly they hear it, they don't care. Mid-level folks From different organizations are coming to me and saying, here's what's happening. Like on the days I go into the office, it just takes a toll mental, Mm -hmm. emotional, physical. And there's been spaces where all employees are able to give feedback, like in a blog type forum to senior leaders, but nothing's changing. Why is that?
1: Mm. I think part of it goes back to what do we as leaders fear? Where is this coming from? It's coming from a place of fear. Lack of control, lack of power, lack of oversight, all those things. Because if you actually took a step back and if you and I were working together, if I actually had concerns about your output, let's have that discussion versus everyone needs to be back in the office, right? And I'll never forget when I first started my career, Amy, in corporate America, the big thing was when you graduated, promoted, and you got an office, right? You got the office. And of course I was in that generation where they went into open space. I never (laughs) got the office. I was like, no, right? My own bias, I was trained. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for that office. That promotion was as much about the promotion and the money as about having my office where I could close my door and feel important. And those days are gone. And -hmm. I think people have to realize that. And I think sometimes there's such a sense of loss of control in the world right now. There's so much that we can't control and so then we go and focus on sometimes finding ways to get more control okay. and so if i'm a leader let me make sure everybody's in the office cuz i feel like i can have more control and feel like i'm you know surrounded by people but i guess the real issue is it's like what's the problem you're trying to solve because if you feel that your team is less productive then facts data and see how you can work through that but i think creating this storyline that nobody who works remote is productive and nothing is getting done isn't helpful either. It's not helpful.
0: It's not true, also. It's, There's, it's a myth. It's, it's, <laughs> exactly. And that, that's why it's number 13. So full circle. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is why it's a myth because. I was in that setting where over the pandemic, it was a record year. So productivity was actually not the issue. If there is actual truth about, is it the sprawling campus real estate? You know, is it is it the taxes of out of state? You know, things? Yes. if they got really truthful, depending on what workplace it is, about having people come back, to your point, the reason they're not saying that is because- They've actually, they meaning senior leaders, they were conditioned that you have to be on site to be
1: quote
0: unquote productive. So now they're in turn requiring that of today's folks where, especially you're looking at Gen Z millennials that they're like.
1: No, Gen Z is going to shift the world in big ways. And they are, they're not, it's not, they're entering the workforce. And when it comes to how they work, where they work, who they work for, values are aligned. All those things are very, very top of mind and leaders need to be really Aware of that.
0: Folks, you've heard Mita Malik go through a little bit of a mini deep dive. Uh, we'll use a corporate term, a mini deep dive mm-hmm. of two myths uh, out of the amazing 13 that I read just a few minutes ago. And again, I'm on pins and needles waiting for this book because I feel like already I just feel seen. Oh. And you're starting the bigger shift and in movement into this conversation because you're saying the things that are really hard. And while someone's in corporate does not feel safe ever saying. So I want to thank you so much. What are some of the ways that whether it be monetarily or otherwise, how can we as an organization community, how can we support you in a launch
1: of reimagining inclusion? Please go pre-order today on Amazon. Amy, thank you for placing your pre-order. Please share the link with others and friends. Pre-orders matter a lot. I'm learning a lot about being a (laughs) first-time author. So pre-orders matter a lot. And why so, they matter, I so they matter so much for supply chain, right? To make I sure know, that books yeah. aren't on back order for six months, but also to make lists like the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, like all of those lists. And I would like to see more women on those lists, including myself. So that's why pre-orders matter. They matter a lot.
0: You will be on the New York bestseller list. Oh, you
1: thank you so on. much, Amy. You spoke, <laughs> spoke truth <laughs> to power. Spoke, there
0: yeah. you go. I spoke it out into the universe. Yes. We're manifesting. So pre-order. Reimagine Inclusion. This will all be in show notes from Amazon, available 10.3. You can find Meeta on LinkedIn, Instagram, and also quick shout out again about your podcast. I think it's exquisite.
1: Thank you. Yes. My podcast with my co-host DC Marshall is called Brown Table Talk, part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. We're about to go into season seven. We talk about all of the hard truths women of color face in the workplace, how we can go from surviving to thriving and how allies can show up, step up and do better in our workplaces.
0: I will, again, I want to say it one more time, pre-order Reimagine Inclusion on Amazon today and follow Mita on LinkedIn and Instagram. Any last remarks that you'd like to close out, whether with the 13 myths, any advice you have for those, some of those officers or senior leaders that feel the way you do, but don't have your confidence or courage or feel that they can say the thing, the hard things that you're saying, what would you tell well, them?
1: Well, first thing is we all can make an impact. I don't care what part of the organization you sit in. If we each showed up to work tomorrow, just doing one thing differently. Imagine the ripple effect. I'm not asking you to do 10 or 13, just yeah. asking you to one, do, do one thing mm-hmm. in terms of how you're showing up your behavior and just remember what is inclusion at the end of the day. Inclusion is about feeling valued seen and recognized. And we all want to feel included. And there's nothing like inclusion to be a driver of retention because Amy, I like you. I might even love you now. And if you offered me $30,000 more to come work for you, I'd say no, respectfully, because guess what? I feel so included. I feel so valued, seen and recognized by my employer. I wouldn't go anywhere else. And that's what we want people to feel, right? And so I just thank you for the impact you're making and thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Thank you for making me feel included, seen, and heard, Mita.
1: Oh, thank you, Amy.